Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Dr. Martin Luther King's leadership during the bus boycotts and the sit-ins and the historic Selma to Montgomery march is now legendary. Much of what happened afterwards during the last three years of his life is rarely discussed, but was a time when Dr. King and his dream turned into a nightmare from some people's perspective. From the passage of the Voting Rights Act in 1965 to his assassination in 1968, King remained unshakably committed to nonviolence in an increasingly unstable country. King in the Wilderness chronicles the final chapters of Dr. King's life, revealing the conflicted leader who faced an onslaught of criticism from both sides of the political spectrum. The film King in the Wilderness premieres this Monday, April 2nd, on HBO, just two days before the 50th anniversary of his assassination. We're joined today by the director of King in the Wilderness, Peter Kuhnhardt. Peter, welcome to Film School. Well, thank you. I'm very pleased to be here. Well, I want to thank you so much for this film. I, I, I think, as I just alluded to in the introduction, it's a, it's a part of Dr. King's life that's not often given an awful lot of attention. We tend to focus on the I Have a Dream speech was in 1963, but there is so much about Dr. King and his life leading up to um, his, his um, tragic death, and this film does it beautifully. And I want to congratulate you on the work, but... Uh, Let's begin by asking you where you, when, and how you decided to to make the the film uh, King in the Wilderness. We, we I, it's a film I've wanted to work on for nearly thirty years. I, I've touched on King's life in different films we've worked on, uh, but we really needed a major hook like the anniversary of his, of his assassination. And so, about four years ago, I brought the idea to HBO, and they supported it right away. and We've been in production for about two years, um, so it's it's been a long time in coming. Mm-hmm. In making the film, it sounds like HBO is such a wonderful uh, has been such a wonderful place for filmmakers and especially documentary filmmakers. It's it seems that they've really been uh, supportive and given uh, filmmakers like yourself an opportunity to explore these kinds of subjects. Uh, so it's good to see it once again coming forward uh, to do that. Yeah, I agree. But, is there something about this final years? I, as I alluded to in the in in the introduction, this is a period of time of sort of uh, darkness around the uh, the civil rights movement. There was a lot of discord uh, with the country that experienced rioting uh, uh, for a number of years, and there were and the movement itself was being pulled apart from a lot of different directions within. Uh, the the African American community. Well, what did you feel like you were going into this project? What you were trying to achieve? Well, we 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 did something very early on, and and any any filmmaker who who works with uh, with history is familiar with uh, the Vanderbilt uh, archives of uh, the news archives. So every newscast has been, since since 1968 has been kept on record and it's very easy to look at oh. uh the news coverage of the day. Yeah. So we we early on we googled 1968 to 2012 whatever wherever it was and and put the name Dr. King in and we got 400 news reports that talked about King from right after he was killed to 
up to the present. And I looked at every one of those, and uh, they, I was bombarded. Every time there was a story somewhat related to King, he was referred to with a clip from I Have a Dream. And it was mind-numbing. And it made, me, it made me come to the realization that the press has, you know, unknowingly, but the press has so kind of stereotyped him as the I Have a Dream guy yeah. that every, t- every time someone thinks there's a new film coming out of King, it's going to cover that same I Have a Dream story. Right. So right, right from the start, we knew we wanted to stay far away from that and, and do something that was new and fresh. And we, we, we realized that it was that last chapter of his life when things didn't go so right for King, but when he was up against such odds and yet, and yet never backed down, never wavered, that we thought people would respond to. Yeah. I, I refer to it as it w- the two different versions from, from my perspective are the holiday Martin Luther King, and then there's the, the much more um, complex reality, which is what you explore in your, in, your, um, in your film. People don't really quite understand the, how much of a challenge to the uh, established order Dr. King was, especially in these last three years of his life, and particularly in the tactics and the issues that he took on which were initially were not considered to be part of the civil rights movement. Let's talk a little bit about sort of how in some ways radical Dr. King was for his era and even today feels a little more radical in our perspective of what's acceptable politically. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, you know, nonviolence was, it was after, after King was killed kind of vanished because it was kind of embarrassing to people, kind of a, a too quiet a way to approach the issue. And black power was so popular because it was it was coming up from the younger people. King was kind of portrayed as almost an old old fashioned sort of yeah. uh, activist at the time. Yeah, he, he once once it changed from a local southern issue where it didn't cost the country any money it it simply was changing laws and and um uh allowing king to kind of do what he did fight civil rights from the church pulpit uh everything went his way but once he moved north once he challenged racism in the northern states and and fought for fair housing in the urban ghettos and uh challenged poverty for all races of people, and then finally came out against the Vietnam War. He really was, uh, he he was looking for justice on so many levels. And he said, this is something that's been within me from the beginning. If you don't understand why I'm doing this, then you've never understood me. To even his closest team who was saying, you're going too far, you're pushing beyond your expertise. And when, when, when he came out, when he came out against Vietnam, the newspapers, every newspaper chastised him for, for uh, just going beyond where he should go as a priest, as, as a minister, a Baptist minister. And uh, he, was, he was embarrassed and he was shocked and he felt rejected and lonely and, and uh, isolated. So it was a very dark, hard period for him. 
Yeah, and there's you have footage in the film. By the way, we're, I would remind our listeners we're speaking with Peter Coonhart. He is the director of the film King in the Wilderness. It's uh, screening in, on HBO starting on Monday, April 2nd, and I'm sure we'll be running for quite some time on the network as well as, I'm sure, uh, paper, not pay-per-view, but video on demand. You'll be able to watch it soon, but c- check it out, Monday night, uh, April 2nd. There, There's footage in the film that from the demonstrations in Chicago, and I've seen other documentaries on Dr. King, and you have, and, I, and I've now having seen a, a lot of this footage from that the, the demonstrations for fair housing in Chicago. Uh, it looks to be some of the most violent reactions to Dr. King uh, personally as that I can ever that I've ever seen in terms of uh, uh, the reaction of the community that he was demonstrating in, as much as. Uh, the, the 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 violence in Mississippi and Alabama, the Chicago certainly rivaled it uh, at least that much in terms of the hostility, uh, and this was about another issue that's sort of outside the 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 purview of what a lot of people saw as civil rights movement. This was about housing. Had you, I'm sure you'd seen that footage before, but tell tell our audience a little bit about what I'm describing. How just with a visceral reaction to to Dr. King in that in that setting. Yeah, it's shocking to watch. And there are so there are so many visual clues that appear to be linked to today. The use of the swastika, right. large groups of young people just fuming, and 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 the vi- the violence and hatred is you can feel that hatred viscerally yeah. as you watch the the film. And and King, King felt it, and he, he said that he had never experienced this kind of hatred in the South, and it it changed him and it stuck with him. He never, right till his grave, he never forgot that experience in Chicago. It was, you know, here's a place where whites and blacks can ride the same bus, where they can sit in the same restaurants, but just beneath the surface with so many of these white people. And and the crowds were huge. Their ten, crowds of 10,000 came out to jeer him and scream at him and spit on him. They, 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 the hate was just beneath the surface. Yes, and and it, it comes across in this film just how profoundly this did impact him and how it seemed to, in many ways, strengthen his resolve. And and I just from as a sort of editorial comment here on, on what this film is about and, and this reaction in Chicago, when you start to pull apart the, the, the ba- basic building blocks of society, we're talking about housing, education, criminal justice. All these things were things that were institutionally racist. Uh, and, and, and that, and those were the things that he was now going up against. And, um, so again, I go back to this idea that he was a much more, uh, politically, uh, a radical in, in that sense, in the best possible sense of that, that word that we give him credit for today, how much he did challenge, uh, establishment politics and society. I totally agree, totally agree that, that, that establishment, he ran straight into, and, and, you know, Johnson had supported him for civil rights legislation in the past, but when King suddenly came and, and challenged LBJ in his support of the war, or when King asked for federal money to clean up the slums or to help the poor, uh, that was that was a bigger deal. No one wanted to spend the money. It was it was a 
it was a bigger ask by King, and uh, he 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 faced a lot of failure in those last three years. If, if you look at King's accomplishments, his successes, they were all sixty-five and earlier. He he couldn't claim any great successes during this last time, and yet I think his moral successes were so firmly established in those last years that that just solidified his greatness for all time. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. That is his legacy in so many ways. Uh, in the film, uh, King in the Wilderness, you're able to pull together uh, his contemporaries, the people he worked with. Uh, what, uh, in terms of the process of making this film, uh, it's, it's a very, it's got to feel on a, like a, on a personal level and as a filmmaker, such a satisfying achievement with this film, uh, and to see the people who work with Dr. King again and talking about these things in ways that are still very relevant, as you said earlier, uh, talk us a, a little bit about, uh, the experience of, of gathering up, um, these people like do Dr. Andrew Young and, and, and Jesse Jackson, who, um, as we know, is now dealing with some very serious issues himself. But it's great to see all these people. Talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, we were, we were helped a great deal by the historian Taylor Branch, who has written about these people and known them for 30 years. So Taylor helped us approach them, which was a, which was a tremendous uh, step forward. But when we got to them, you know, I had seen interviews with all of them from Eyes on the Prize days and, and, and here and there over the years on King's birthday. But when we reached them, they were all in their mid to late 80s. And I, they were overjoyed to speak with us. It was almost like this was their last opportunity or could be their last opportunity to really deeply remember Martin Luther King. And each of the interviews went on for anywhere for an hour to four hours. So these were long conversations uh, that allowed them to tell stories and really jog their own memories and think back. Um, and at the end of each interview, there was such kind of an, an elation from these people. They, they, they felt we had given them a gift in letting them talk about it. So in the early days when, when King's legacy was just beginning to be formed, I think there was, res there, there was a hesitancy on their part to talk about King the Man. They wanted to continue just to talk about King the Legend. And now they wanted to get the whole story out and talk about his greatness on a personal level, not just an institutional level. And so I think I, I think it was um, therapeutic for them, and I think it gave a truthful account to us that goes beyond what we've heard in the past. Yeah. It was so wonderful to see... Um, as I mentioned, Jesse Jackson, Andrew Young, and Harry Belafonte, who I think in so many ways is a, a bit of a forgotten um, person in terms of the history of our country. He's, he has been s such a key part, a key element 
on so many levels with so many different people, but in particular with Dr. King and, and Robert Kennedy, forge, helping them forge that relationship that they had, which I think was transformational for, uh, for Robert Kennedy in the last few years of his life. I, I just, it's, and, and the interviews as you're describing them, there's a warmth and an intimacy to it that is just, it comes across uh, beautifully in the film to see them, to see how impactful on a personal level and also the the footage and the relationship between dr king and his father which i hadn't really seen much about before which again gives all this gives so much color and and um depth to this film um thank you for that and thank you for well, you know when 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 you mention color in two different ways one, one sub, substantively but also, we decided to light them like a still photographer yeah. would light a portrait because yeah. we wanted to give each of these people kind of a sense of integrity and dignity and really a, a sense of lasting for all time. So we, we put lights over them instead of on the sides. And I think there's something rich in their skin tones and yeah. and their the closeness to the camera that just makes them very immediate. Oh, it, and they talked about them on a personal level. On, and yeah. And and again, yeah, I, as you described it, it, it really comes across in the film that for many of these people, this this may be the last time they have an opportunity to really reflect on the life that they le have led in their life together with Dr. King and, and his work. Yeah. And and I think it's important in the film. It's not a this is not a museum piece film. It is in so many ways a, the relevancy of Dr. King's approach, his politics, what he stood for. Uh, and his nonviolent tactics are, are, as we saw just a week ago at the March for Our Lives, and we're seeing uh, from the Women's March from last year, we're seeing so much of what he he taught us. Absolutely. And when I, when I watched his granddaughter say enough is enough and then beam her smile to the nation, it reminded me of the middle portion of, of the film when we talk about King's humor and he who rarely smiled in the coverage of most, of mo most King films include, he had one of the great smiles and it reminded me exactly of his great granddaughter of his granddaughters. So it, it was almost as if his smile, I, I found it almost spiritual that his smile was kind of beaming forth through his granddaughter. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And honestly, uh, my my affection for Dr. King, he's he's he is truly a hero to me in 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 uh, the best sense of the word. And to see him and to see not only his innate humanity, but also to see his intelligence and his ability to move people, which I I, I know we sort of take it for granted. But to see it in your film, to see why people were so moved by him. And also, there's an interview that, uh, a walking interview that's done, and I believe it's the march uh, uh, after uh, James Meredith has been shot. And Stokely Carmichael and Dr. King are walking nearly side by side between them as a reporter. And to hear Stokely Carmichael say things that I'm sure Dr. King didn't agree with, but to see how they were able to respect one another in that moment. It's just it's a it's a remarkable segment of the film. I really truly appreciated that so much. I agree, I agree with you. I think that is one of the insightful moments. And in this day where people with different opinions today uh, vilify one another and make personal attacks, 
Dr. King recognized this was a totally different approach that he didn't believe in, but that Stokely was on the same side as he was, and they were fighting for the same thing. So he embraced him like a father figure rather than uh, attacking him like probably would happen in politics today. Yeah. It's a beautiful it's a beautiful moment in the film. It really it says a lot about uh, Dr. King and Stokely Carmichael, and understandably his his anger and his desire to to uh, you know to to achieve what they wanted to achieve more quickly and more dramatically, and all of it. It's completely understandable, and to see the two of them, uh, you know, embrace each other in, in a rhetorical and a philosophical sense uh, is uh, it was just wonderful wonderful moment in the film. Thank, I, thank I, you. I agree with you. Yeah, thank, I, 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 I could go on and on. I again, I could talk about Dr. King until <laughs> until uh, the night falls. But I, I know that I've been, uh, I, I, I truly appreciate your time and your films. You just have such a, a wonderful uh, litany of films, and I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention some of them. Uh, you just uh, recently did the, the Newspaper Man, The Life and Times of Ben Bradley, Becoming Warren Buffett, Nixon by Nixon in his own words. You did, he's done documentaries on Gloria Steinem, Abraham Lincoln, Teddy Kennedy, Robert Kennedy. The list goes on and on. You can find out about uh, Peter Kuhnhart's films at kuhnhartfilms.com. That's K-U-N-H-A-R-D-T films.com to find out more about him and his films. I want to thank you so much. This has been a true honor, and it's such a wonderful film. And, and thank HBO for, 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 uh, for helping this happen and helping us all get a, an insight into the world of Dr. King at a time when we didn't really pay too much attention to him, and we should have been. Well, I couldn't agree with you more, and you're welcome, and I, I enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.